Hello and welcome to Spy Hards Podcast, where your hosts go deep undercover into the world of spy movies to decipher which films make the... Oh, is it the Knocklist Cam? Well, that's something we're going to talk about today. Um, just to preface, this is a very special bonus episode. It's, it's not going to be particularly long. We, uh, we've come up with a concept and we want to talk about it a little bit. Uh, Cam, why don't you take us away? Yes, so this is Cam the Provocateur, and recently we covered the movie Little Drummer Girl. You may have heard it this week in your podcast feed, and I was, you know, middle of the road on the movie. Scott, I think you'd agree, not a fan. Not a fan in any way, shape, or form. Not particularly having had watched it twice. No. (laughs) Yeah, maybe if I watched it twice I would feel differently, but it was something that was kind of spinning in my head afterwards of like, we have the knock list, and we have the movies that don't make the knock list. You know, kind of those ones that maybe are fun, but don't necessarily belong on the list. Stuff like, you know, Men in Black didn't make it in, or um, Born Identity didn't make it in. But do they deserve to be lumped in with maybe some um, more dire examples of the genre? And so I began to wonder if we needed a new list, the disavowed list, the movies that... They deserve that sort of brand of shame. They don't deserve necessarily to be lumped in with a lot of just good movies. Yeah, and we're not talking about, you know, we didn't like it, but I'm sure there were people who liked it. We're talking about the the dregs of spy movies, the ones that I would rather claw my own eyes out than watch again. And, you know, say I always take the mickey out of Ipcris file. I'm not going to say the Ipcris file belongs on the disavowed list. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't think it does. I didn't enjoy it, but I can appreciate its merit uh, in cinema history. Okay? But we want to have a list that uh, will basically disavow these films from spy canon completely. We want them to never be mentioned again. We want to delete them from existence if we can. So by adding them to the list, hopefully no one will watch them again. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, because I think they deserve to be underlined. Um, and the uh, disavowed list will be featured from this point forward on our Letterboxd account at letterboxd.com slash spyhards. These movies deserve to be recognized um, for, uh, you know, and perhaps shamed for uh, merely existing and taking up our precious time and your precious time, those of you that sit and watch the movies every week for the podcast. Uh, we sympathize with some of these. And they only really deserve to be referenced when we make jokes on the podcast about some of the um, uh, more unfortunate examples of movies we've sat through over the course of the show. Yeah, there's a few that we tend to uh, reference when talking about bad movies we've covered so far, which we'll get to. But I think what I want to do first is we've pitched the idea of this disavowed list. I want to set some ground rules. How do you feel about that, Cam? Okay, let's do it. I think a film can't even be entered into the discussion of the disavowed list unless it gets all no's on the knock list question. Correct, yeah, I agree. So if it's just us or if it's a guest, they count as well. Two guests, ten guests, whatever you want. If everyone says no, then we have to raise the question, is it getting on the disavowed list? I think most of the time, even though you get you know two no's, like Men in Black is a great film. It had two no's. We would probably go, would it make this a valid list? And we would both say, no. It's just a it's just a good film, but not a great film. That's my pitch for our, our rule set. But do you, do you have any other rules, Cam? Um, I think 
the uh, disavowed list as well. It shouldn't be like every week we're like, did it make the knock list? Oh, did it make the disavowed list? I feel like the disavowed list has to be something either you or I have to actually like bring into the conversation at the end of an episode. Like we are so outraged by the movie that maybe we need to call a vote for the disavowed list versus it just being a part of the standard week to week format as in like, well, you know, uh, Men in Black 3 didn't make the list, so I guess we better vote on the disavowed list now. Right. I just don't think that's necessary. I think that's an extension of, of my first uh, uh, rule, and I think that's a good extension of it. Um, I think we should just... It, it, it will be quite natural. We'll know if it's a bad film enough to say, and we'll hit that button, the disavowed button, and that triggers the conversation. Um, maybe we'll get some sort of sound effect. That we can just play on the episode. You know it's bad when we've hit that button. Mm, I think I might actually have something. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Oh. Um, so that's that's the pitch. That's the disavowed list. It will appear from time to time. Uh, even some of your favorite franchises might have a film that makes a disavowed list, unfortunately. Um, even some of your favorite directors might do the same. But then again, it is just our opinion. What do we know? We're idiots. Although I do think the movies that are likely to wind up on the disavowed list, a lot of people will agree with. Yeah, I agree. So that's the list. So looking back at the 44 films we've covered so far, I think what we want to do is figure out if any of them were bad enough to be posthumously put on the disavowed list. So what we're going to do is we're going to pitch each other a film and try and, and sell films that we want to be on Disavowed List. But we both have to agree it's bad enough to make it to make the Disavowed List. Right. So I think there's some very key candidates. I think we can rule out stuff like, um, you know, a lot of the stuff that's good. I even think, you know, like movies like Central Intelligence, that's eh, fine enough. Um, th there's a lot of ones like that. You know, Billion Dollar Brain, maybe not where we want to see Harry Palmer go. But interesting artistically, it has some merits. Um, so stop, I think we really stop killing my list, Cam. Jeez, <laughs> I think we really need to underline the ones that are truly glaring. I I agree. I think um, I think I'll lead us off, okay, with my pitch for the first film to make the disavowed list, and I'm going to go with the man with one red shoe. Well, under your rules, though, our guest Lorraine on that one actually voted yes for the knock list, so I think it's exempt. Wow, I think I've been I've been stumped at the at the starting blocks there. You've taken my knee out, Cam. Thanks for that. Cheers. Thanks, Lorraine, as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, your very own rules there. Um, that's one I had kind of with a question mark next to it on my list. Um, I, I kind of struggle with that one because I didn't really care for it that much, but. I've watched far more egregious things. Like, it was 90 minutes, it moved by. Let's get to something, I'll, my first pick. It's also about 90 minutes, and I think really deserves inclusion on this list, and that is Men in Black 2. Um, you know, Men in Black 1 is a fun movie. Men in Black 3 was a fun movie. Men in Black 2 is just the most cynical cash-in sequel imaginable, where there's, like, no creativity... It's just entirely, you know, very well-paid actors and producers cashing checks on this one and director. Um, like, what does this movie offer? It, it's just nothing. Like, everything we've gotten out of this one in discussion has been ridiculing it. Things like Will Smith in plastic tubes, Rip Torn hang, uh, hung up from wires doing really bad wire foo, 
Like, this movie just contributes nothing to the franchise. It actually undoes very positive elements of the first one. And when we get to the third one, they're kind of just shuttling it aside. So that's my argument for Men in Black 2. I thought about this film, and it was actually a question mark one for me as well. And I, I almost convinced myself against it because of the fun it gave me in, a, you know, riff tracks, Mystery Science Theater 3000 kind of take the mickey out of the film. But you're right. It has absolutely nothing to offer. Yeah. You could remove it from the Men in Black canon, and I think it would be fine. It also commits the cardinal sin of uh, removing um, Linda Fiorentino's character. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a horrible choice. And bringing in Rosario Dawson and then just completely wasting her. Um, it just is such a bizarre movie in that it cost a fortune. It has all these elements um, in terms of the cast and you know, obviously a bigger budget that could have been lent towards something really special. And they just were like... I don't know, remake the first one with about half the creativity. Plus, the effects are horrible in this movie. The first one has all these really fun, gooey effects. This one has like just some of the worst CG you'll see from that time period. The only thing I'm thinking about in terms of trying to argue against you or to champion Men in Black 2, I don't think I, I thought I ever would have said this, but like, it did give us the beatboxing scene at the post office. Is that really something to go to bat for? <laughs> I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> well, it's a good scene. To be fair, Tommy Lee Jones is again great in this film. As is Will Smith. He's trying his hardest. But <sighs> it's a toughie. This is a toughie. I just feel like if, if I have a redeeming quality for it, I'm not sure I can sign off on it being deleted. Uh-huh. I would sooner watch Men in Black 2 than my other picks. Really? This is near the bottom for me of anything we've watched across the board on the podcast. So that's fascinating. <laughs> okay, you're you're pretty uh you're pretty hot on it. So what I might say is, can we put a pin in this one as a maybe mm-hmm. and we'll come okay. back at the end and see what we've got. Okay. Sounds good. Why don't you give your next one then? Okay. Well, uh, we're in the same franchise here. Mm. Uh just just moving a few years forward uh, with a whole new cast, and I'm talking about Men in Black International. What an absolute dumpster fire of a film. It, it, I was frustrated watching it. I was frustrated that we got guests in to watch it. I felt bad for them. I felt bad for us. It has absolutely nothing to offer. It squanders two great leads from... A much better films. Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth have great chemistry in Thor Ragnarok. And then they come along and do this film. And it's like they're sleepwalking their whole way through it. They could have done a lot of great things with this international angle of the Men in Black franchise. Although you think this actually should be more of a galactic thing. But anyway, it does absolutely nothing with the concept. It has these really horrible like CG scenes in Paris that I think are unforgivable. Where Liam Neeson's sleeping his way through it too. Um, it goes to show that the funniest thing in the film is a CG Kamal Nanjiani and that's pushing it when I use the word funny a very poorly integrated CG character for sure Um, I actually ranked this one higher than Men in Black 2 when we did our Men in Black rankings at the end of International Um, I mean look I agree with you this is a nothing of a movie a total nothing like it's a Guys, we're going to reboot a franchise, and here is the most bland, flavorless gruel you could ever expect. Do you want more? Well, clearly no, which is why we're not getting Men in Black International Part 2. 
but to me it was at least a bit of a franchise change up where i'm like okay what what am i what kind of adventure am i going on here versus the you know men in black 2 which was just literally a carbon copy of the first one um and a very bad carbon copy this one it's not successful at anything it's trying to do but at least it's doing some different types of things i haven't seen before but i do agree with you it's a heavily um meddled with movie you can just tell with the editing the way that you know characters kind of pop in and out the plotting of everything to do with the big villain reveal is kind of all over the place i still don't know why rebecca ferguson's in this movie that character really doesn't contribute anything um so it's a very messy movie but to me it falls more in that just thudding mediocre film versus like something truly deserving of hate so what it sounds like is we both don't like these men in black films but we're picking different ones maybe we should just delete the men in black franchise no no it's even numbered men in blacks that's the problem so the next ah. men in black movie is going to be great but they should somehow just skip over the next sequel <laughs> it's it's the inverse of the uh, star trek effect it is yeah so far hmm. okay well i i mean do you want to put a pin in international as well or should we just make a death pact and and kill both films why don't we save those to the end because i don't think we're going to disagree as much on the ones coming up i don't think uh, I guess we'll find out. Now I'm a little surprised after the Men in Blacks, but why don't we <laughs> kind of wrap up the episode with just a decision on the Men in Blacks? Okay. All right. Pin in, pin in both those films. Uh, your choice next. I think this is a slam dunk. Uh, I'm just going to group them together. The two Harry Palmer TV movies, Bullet to Beijing and Midnight in St. Petersburg. Look, you and I weren't the biggest fans of the trajectory of that franchise. We were frustrated by Billion Dollar Brain. Um, I was a huge fan of Ipcris and felt it was kind of a bit of diminishing returns, even though I enjoyed Funeral in Berlin. Um, but it felt like a franchise kind of sloping downwards, whereas you were a bigger fan of Funeral in Berlin. But I think we both agreed that these two TV movies were like, not only like an insult to the world building and character of Harry Palmer, in those first films, but just also the tone and vibe of Len Dayton's work, you know, as translated to those first three movies. Like, these, this just felt, like, so cheap, and especially that second TV movie where you could just tell they had half the budget of the first, and a lot of it is just taking place on this, the really, like, grimy studio backlot they used. It's just really kind of pathetic. I can't argue against you on this one as you said it, it's quite the slam dunk one thing i did note down is and and you actually did say it the midnight in st petersburg film is worse than bullet to beijing so in my head i thought maybe i should just disavow st petersburg and keep bullet to beijing but the other argument is we covered them in the same episode so should the episode be disavowed and therefore both films right um i i mean if we're talking about the canon of harry palmer and much as the tv show i think is wrapped shooting and will be coming out some point this year which i'm looking forward to checking out of the ipcris file i think both those tv films are a stain on the legacy of michael Caine's harry palmer so yes i agree disavowed okay i this is a pretty easy one i felt like just bullet to beijing is the better of the two but it's kind of like well, it's a better phoned-in TV movie. Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> when you consider, you know, the ambition or some of the storytelling strengths of the first three, even. Like, 
Again, Billion Dollar Brain, not my favorite, but there's a lot of interesting visuals in that movie. There's some character work that's really fun, uh, locations that are interesting. Um, None of that's in these TV movies. I think the only thing um, to maybe defend these movies with is the fact that they are TV movies. Mm -hmm. They won't have the budget of some of the things they're sandwiched against, like Tenet and Condor Man. They don't have the money to do these amazing... uh, Special effects like Condor Man flying across the River Seine. You know, it's, it's, a, spectacle. it's a spectacle. Amazing. <laughs> Astounding. Yeah, yeah. Is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's Condor Man. Um, yeah, I, so I, I can kind of defend them from that angle, but overall, in like a holistic sense, just disavow them. And maybe also just their very existence. The fact they made these cheap TV movies just to kind of milk this Harry Palmer character, or whatever was left in him, because obviously Billion Dollar Brain was not a particularly successful movie at the box office. I don't know what the legacy of that character really was over the next 30 years in pop culture. And it feels like they were just like, we can get Michael Caine, we can snap up the rights to this, just let's throw these out there. And they just feel, there's no thought put into them whatsoever. They're not even based on Len Dayton novels, for God's sakes. So yeah, to me, they're pretty easy to... Uh, toss them onto the disavowed list and let's not forget uh michael kane called them the worst uh acting experience of his entire career mm. and he's done some absolute turkeys mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. if they've hurt my precious michael kane i want to hurt them right so yeah uh signed that it, i will disavow these films done okay what is your next one uh my next one is actually my last pick so that might mean you have more than me, but we'll find out. And it is the egregious Disney 1975, One of Our Dinosaurs is Missing. Yeah, that was on my list. And it was one, in some ways, I struggled with because um, about like 50% of this movie is, uh, boy, it's uh, offensive. It is incredibly racist. Um, that is not, uh, you know, uh, difficult to condemn to the disavowed list. Um, but then the other 50% is kind of this, like, I don't know, cheery, somewhat, uh, inoffensive Disney crap, like the kind of live action stuff they put out in those eras. Lots of these, um, live action Disney movies, there's really no ambition in them in these like 60s, 70s films. They're cranked out like four or five a year. They're often inoffensive. And so like this one, half the movie is totally fine i guess by those standards it's just the other half is so so aggressively egregious that i think it kind of drags it down to the to the disavowed list i think if you were just measuring kind of the more basic disney hijinksy stuff it would not even come close to the list but anything with peter ustinov and his gang in this movie boy it's it's uh, a rough sit yeah and you've got to think as well We've covered, uh, say, Matahari from 1931. One of our dinosaurs is missing feels more dated than Matahari. Yeah. It's amazing how it's done out to itself in the 45 years since that film's been released. Whereas I would I would actually rather sit through Greta Garbo in, in Matahari, which is actually a fine film, which is why we haven't mentioned it. It just wasn't a great film. Um, and it's just insane that Disney thought this was a, a good thing to bring out. And insane that I sat through it twice. It's, I think, the only movie we've covered where when I was watching it, 
I was getting a little nervous about the podcast episode because I'm like, oh my god, like, um, there's another movie I always want to have a talk with, maybe dovetailing off of this one, but, um, I remember just watching this thinking like, oh my god, like, everything to do with this incredibly racist Chinese caricatures is overriding the film, like, it's one thing when it's a character or a subplot where we can acknowledge it and kind of move on. You know, we talked when we did Goldfinger about the very uncomfortable sexual assault scene in that. But there's so much else to talk about within the context of Goldfinger and what makes it a very, you know, admirable movie. That one made the knock list. Um, but with this movie, it was like leaving me nothing. And I found that genuinely nerve-wracking to watch and think of, oh my god, how are we going to do like a, you know, hour, 90-minute uh, podcast basically off this? I'm glad we had Ian from the Best Film Ever podcast because he was able to give us some sort of reference points for the film and to sort of put it into context a little bit. Um, and I think we all came at it from an angle of more intrigue than enjoyment because it's amazing that Disney put this film out, but that doesn't mean that it was a good film by any means. It's definitely the worst film I've watched for this podcast. It felt through that episode kind of like analyzing a crime scene more than... Um, a lot of the movies we've tackled, even ones we didn't like. Like, I don't think we went into those Harry Palmer TV movies with this sort of horror of, like, how did this happen? We were more like, well, there's some stuff to make fun of. We can talk about the evolution of Harry Palmer. You know, these weren't necessarily good in any way, shape, or form, but they do show us an evolution of the character. Maybe we can talk about that. Whereas with one of our dinosaurs, it was a real, like, oh my god, like, how did this happen in, you know, 1975 even? And what was going on in the culture at the time, that this movie's not more notorious. So that was a lot of the discussion. And I want to thank, again, Ian and Ethan were, I thought, fantastic guests on that episode. I'm actually very proud of the podcast episode we did. I think we had a lot of good discussions about this movie and, you know, as you said, sort of um, trends at the time and sort of the history of these sorts of depictions of characters of Chinese descent on screen. So... I think it was a very good podcast episode, but in terms of a movie experience, it was pretty grim and 100% agree on the disavowed list here. Yeah, well, I spoke about it on social media when we released the episode. We had a really good discussion with some people about uh, films being uh, vaulted by Disney specifically and should this film be vaulted. We did a, a poll on Twitter and, and uh, the overwhelming response was yes. Right. It should be vaulted. There, there were people who lobbied against keeping it as a an artifact which i can understand that perspective but i don't think there needs to be any more scholarly research into one of our dinosaurs is missing i don't think it has any sort of artistic merit that warrants it i am not a fan of burying art i guess i look at it more from the point of view of disney though because disney is willing to do that disney has shown in the past they want to protect their corporate name you know they've edited bits and pieces out of fantasia the little mermaid um aladdin you know a number of their classic films they'll take pieces out song of the south has never been released um disney is a brand conscious company does that sort of thing so i think the argument for me is more that why is disney willing to make the argument of keeping this one in circulation versus the others that's to me more the the head scratcher um in a perfect world i think all you know art should be open to um, you know, film lovers and art lovers to look at as an example of the past and understand how these things happened within the context of their time. But from a company standpoint, I don't get it at all. Yeah, I think this is an easy disavowed. Mm -hmm. Totally. So, 
Scratched it off the record. Goodbye. Yeah, so the one I think I just want to have the conversation about, because if we're going to talk about one of our dinosaurs, Remo Williams was also a movie we... I don't know if we struggled as much with that one as we did with dinosaurs, but with all of the Joel Grey as a Korean man uh, material in that movie, and let's be honest, Remo Williams was not a very good movie. What sort of held it back for you on the disavowed list? I think... um... I think the word malice springs to mind. I feel like the the Peter Rustinov character in one of our dinosaurs is missing was devised with malice towards people of Chinese descent, Chinese people, etc. Whereas I feel like the Joel Grey character in Remo Williams and Adventure Begins, uh, I mean, it certainly wasn't celebrating that culture. And but the yeah you know, the whole story behind Joel Grey turning the role down and being convinced by the prosthetics, um, I mean they make far more effort to do it than they do in in dinosaurs. Not that that really means anything, but I feel like there wasn't malice behind the character in Remo, and so I would I'm not saying it was a good film. I'm not trying to put it on the knock list, but I don't think it should be deleted. I think the film, aside from the Joel Grey character, had some interesting things going for it, and I think with some tweaks, maybe a changing Fred Ward for someone else, it could have been the start of a really successful franchise. Yeah, like I agree, it's kind of just a bad franchise launch and not a particularly horrible one. Like, I think some of the movies we've talked about were legitimately horrible to have to sit and watch. I didn't find that with Remo Williams. And I think there is also, for me, um, clearly Joel Grey never should have been cast in that role. They should have either not made the movie or completely revised their approach to casting on that one. But um, the one thing is, Joel Grey's character in that movie is always portrayed as the most capable character in the movie. He is the one who's the most adept at fighting. He's the one who is always one step ahead of everyone around him versus, you know, even Remo is behind that character. So it's still an offensive portrayal. But at least they're looking at it from the point of view of this character is clearly ahead of everyone else. So it, it's a little cringeworthy to watch still, but it's not, to me, something that drags the movie into the disavowed list. And and you said this, I think, in the Dinosaurs episode. I don't think Remo dwells on the Joel Grey character as much. It, it, I mean, he is the second character in the film. He's the second lead, basically. But the film is about Remo, and you spend more time with Remo than you do with Joel Grey. Whereas Peter Ustinov's character in Dinosaurs is almost always there. He drives the movie. Like, the entire movie hinges on that character. And there's, like, a whole twist to where that character goes that, again, is, the like, the clear focus of the movie. And, and listen, guys, there's going to be films down the line that are going to deal with this issue and probably worse ones. And... We're going to have to walk that line every time of finding, has it gone too far? What were the intentions of the creators when they made the film? And I think that's a distinction that we're going to have to make going forward. Because if we had Remo against dinosaurs on this sort of miscasting, I I think dinosaurs, I'll use the term malice again, did it with malice. And I don't think Remo did. And that's why I give Remo the pass. Right. Now, I am curious... Um, while I disagreed with you, so we're not going to discuss it for the disavowed list, would you have put Drummer Girl on Little Drummer Girl? What do you mean you disagree with me? Did I say yes? 
Uh, no, no, you didn't say yes necessarily, but you were like much more down on that movie than I was. Uh. Like to me, it's not even a conversation for me to put Little Drummer Girl on the disavowed list. Would you have put it on yourself? Say you ran it yourself. Would Little Drummer Girl have wound up on it? It's a tough question. I am pondering the answer. I feel like I feel like the film bungles the source material, and that's the damning thing about it. The, from all intents and purposes, from what I've been told, I haven't read the book, and I still haven't seen the BBC show. The story of Little Drummer Girl is quite riveting. Nicholas Meyer is a big fan, but this film just squanders everything, and that's pretty damning. Um, and it has, you know. Diane Keaton's a great actress. Um, doesn't do a lot with her either. But I just, it, it just didn't rub me the wrong way as much as my choices have. Right. I, I feel like it's a bad film, much like, say, Macintosh Man or The Bourne Legacy. Sure. The Bourne Legacy has some things going for it, but overall it was a, just a, a disappointing watch. I think I would put Little Drummer Girl up against something like Bourne Legacy or... A billion dollar brain. Didn't enjoy them. Didn't do anything for me, but didn't offend me. Whereas these ones have have offended me. Yeah, I feel the same way. Like Little Drummer Girl was, it's a very flat movie. Um, but I think there's some interest, at least in breaking it down and talking about it. I was very happy with that episode we did on that film. Um, but uh, I actually have some fondness for Macintosh Man and um, and Born Legacy. So those two would never have even crossed my mind for this list. I just I put Born Legacy like against the other Borns and it's clearly the ugly stepchild. And apart from that gift that I made of um, Paul Newman jumping off the boat <laughs> in in Macintosh Man, I, I've almost forgotten about it. Oh, and you thinking I know what prisons look like? <laughs> that too, that too. Um, so that brings us back to the Men in Black situation. What do we do about Men in Black two and four? Do we put them both on the disavowed list? I don't think anyone would be upset if we did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. I don't think anyone would write to us and say, how dare you, Men in Black 2 is my favourite film. I love that bit where they don't use any of the characters properly. I love the bit with the Burger King and Laura Flynn Boyle in the underwear. Great. Um, I say bin but I say bin them both. Maybe here's a way to look at it. When compared against the Men in Black franchise as a whole, so Men in Black 1 and 3, how far down do these fall? Like, if we're talking about... Um, what's a good example? Okay, let's just say the Star Wars um, franchise. Um, really strong franchise, but when we look at um, Rise of Skywalker, I would be saying, like, hey, that is a movie that would belong on the disavowed list of Star Wars films. So maybe we have to look at it from that point of view. Like, how far do Men in Black 2 and 4 fall from the higher-ranking entries? But that's the problem, you see, because... Okay, Rise of Skywalker is one film in in a film in a set of nine. Yeah. Now, Phantom Menace is a pretty bad film. Mm-hmm. Attack of the Clones is a pretty bad film. Revenge of the Sith is okay. Yeah. The uh, Clone Wars animated movie is uh, horrible. <laughs> horrible, horrible. We won't count that in in the nine. And then yeah. obviously you've got the original trilogy, and I I think there's merit to both Force Awakens and the Last Jedi. I don't. I'm not. I don't think both Men in Black International and Men in Black Two are as bad as The Rise of Skywalker. Really, I would say Men in Black Two is um, probably worse than Rise of Skywalker, which at least has some ambition. And I would say Men in Black International is as bad as it. I think that's exactly the angle we're coming from. And I think, given that, we either 
don't do them at all and we just leave them or we disavow them both. I think I'm comfortable disavowing both of them. Yeah, me too. Because let's be honest, neither of these movies do anything interesting with the concept of the franchise. Men in Black 3 does. It didn't make the list, but it's a movie that's at least trying some interesting things. We're going on time travel missions. You get Josh Brolin in there. There's some freshness. There's some imagination. There's none of that in Men in Black 2 and 4. Like well, It's even worse none. than that. It's, it's even worse than that, Cam. Both the films have um, built-in coolness to them. They've, two comes after one, and Men in Black 1 was a, a blockbuster hit. And it, it just whiffs it. With all that money they threw at it, that's, that's disappointing. That's hurtful, almost, to the franchise. And then Men in Black International gets this great cast of people and just pisses it up the wall. So I, I think they're both not just you know disappointing they're just uh, maybe i can't come up with a word for it but just they just offend me and let's also look at the caliber of talent behind those movies um you know we're like kicking around those harry palmer tv movies um they weren't exactly working with the uh, all-stars of film production whereas men in blacks two and four had untold resources some of the you know most popular directors working in their time well-known writers will smith chris hemsworth um two of the big stars of their time tommy lee jones as well tessa thompson very much a rising star um there's so much in terms of behind the scenes power players on that franchise that it's inexcusable how bad those two sequels are absolutely okay you've sold me cam disavowed them both okay so can you recap what films have been disavowed Yes, so we have added to the disavowed list Men in Blacks 2 and International, as well as Bullet to Beijing, Midnight in St. Petersburg, the two Harry Palmer TV movies, and the Disney 1975 film One of Our Dinosaurs is Missing. As much as I love the episode art we did for that one on the, the uh, spyhards.com. Uh, this is when you insert the toilet flushing sound effect. <laughs> true enough <laughs> yeah um so there you have it folks five films have graced have inaugurated the disavowed list it's now fully fledged and on its way um you can find the disavowed list and of course the knock list on letterbox.com slash spyhards uh but cam before we close out what are we tackling next week we are tackling the sequel to Our Man Flint in Like Flint. And we've got a really great guest on that one. I think everyone's going to enjoy that episode a lot. Yeah, I'm looking forward to actually watching it. And the guest uh, has some very interesting connections to the Flint universe. Uh, quite the Getsky, so I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. But until then, you can, of course, follow us on social media at SpyHards. That's S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But until next week, listeners, good luck on the disavowed list.